Hello and welcome to PA Podcast number 22. This week's guest is Jonathan Poland, Group CEO of Sunlam UK. JP is one of the stalwarts of the UK wealth management sector and the conversation covered everything from the challenges of his new role and his plans for Sunlam UK to how the wealth management sector has changed in the last two decades and why a sound technology policy is now a non-negotiable. If we start with with your new your new role at Sunlam, yeah, it's not a name that perhaps a lot of people in the UK market will have been particularly familiar with. But there are a lot of different moving parts that are now coalescing into into one, if you will. Why, why, why did you move to Sunlam? What, what were you what, what were you brought in to do? Yeah, um, I had uh, had conversations uh, with Sunlam during my time off uh, uh, post uh, Ashcourt, um, and. What I could see was a business that was always taking a long-term view, um, a very supportive and well-capitalized shareholder that strategically needed to have a positioning in the United Kingdom for their own domestic clients to use for their offshore monies. Um, um, and uh, South African uh, private individuals are moving more of their more of their money internationally uh, as time goes by and as the exchange controls disappear uh, and are more generous um, and within that context was I looked at uh, what Sanlam had um, a life company an asset management business a wealth management business a DFM business and a strategic a stake in nucleus and a strategic stake in a small uh, specialist fixed income vehicle, Cameron Hume. Um, and so if I looked at that in, in terms of moving a business into vertical integration, which I absolutely believe is the way forward, um, you have all the component parts, all of which were subscale and none of which had all been run together as one entity or by one person. So, and I always take the more difficult road in life. Um, and so what I could see was the important thing to do was to bring those together, give them a purpose and a strategy, and to create a single operating platform for those businesses to operate off, get rid of duplication, and get it focused into a vertically integrated marketplace, which is the structure, I believe, that you need in financial services in the future. Why do you believe that that's the structure you need? Um, Because I believe that only by having ownership of the whole of the value chain can you really uh, drive out advantages both for shareholders and clients. Um, And it is only by being able to give people every part of the... um, the value chain that you give them that holistic approach to their wealth so you can do everything for them if they should want, wish you so to do um, but also you can get economies of scale and bring pricing down to more reasonable uh, position as we know regulation and uh, transparency is putting pressure on margins in our industry and there's only one way those margins are going and that is down. I mean, how do you see the landscape changing then? Is it likely to then become a whole lot of vertically integrated 
monoliths, if you will, or, or is there the space for the small? No, I think there's and... absolutely space for the, for the uh, small, really good, high-quality uh, boutique IFA. Absolutely believe that. Um, I think it's the middle space that will disappear. In the same way, really, as in asset management, we're seeing the middle of asset management either having to disappear or, or to, uh, to consolidate with somebody else or merge with somebody else, uh, Henderson and, and Janus. Um, and the big players getting bigger, and then very specialist boutiques which are produce real alpha, um, where they can charge high prices, and uh, but they have limited capacity. Uh, and what is that? How important in all of that is then something like technology or, or the whole the Huge. whole notion of? <laughs> and and how does that manifest? Yeah, um, I think the technology and fintech and where we are is probably the most interesting aspect of financial services today. Um, and I think it, it, it uh, really creates a much wider, interesting um, sort of palette for people running businesses today than they've ever had before. If I look at our business, we remain, like most people in the sector, almost in the dark ages of technology. Um, and the difficulty is that you can do, I think you can go, well, you can go three ways. You can do nothing, uh, you can play with technology and say, right, well, look, we've got to have some sort of portal for our clients or some in digital interface for our clients. So let's sort of just build this thing over here cheaply and see what we can get away with. Or you can try and turn the, the business on its head and really embrace technology to proof state your business for the 2020s and 2030s. And it's in that letter space that I want to. Does that entail or does that require your own technological expertise within in-house or can you outsource it? I think you've got to go further, but I think there are, there are different ways to do it. I think if, if you are a very, very big life business, a global life player, a, an Aviva or somebody, you may well want to have proprietary control on your technology and want to own it. If you're where we are, um, what I want you to be able to do is to use the right component parts to put together the solutions we want. But also, I want to uh, talk to fintech businesses about JVing with them, looking to see where we can be a beta tester for, for some of the sort of technology solutions we want um, uh, to give us first mover advantage and, and maybe cost reduction by doing so and having some sort of long-term partnership with them and building it together. Why, why do you think the industry is so far behind a lot of other sectors of the, of the economy? Because there's been no pressure on us to do anything. So I think we have, you know, have been very successful in asset managers setting their funds, uh, to wealth managers looking after clients' portfolios, uh, without a clamour for, for real technologies. So we're behind the curve. And we've allowed ourselves to get behind the curve and not invest in it because it was, if you're looking at short-term returns, uh, then that gives you, the, you know, that can add to a, a, a positive for you. Um, if you're looking to actually where the businesses are going, but more importantly, what do the clients of 2020 and 2030 want? Because we're talking about totally different people than our client base today. 
My client base today in our DFM business is an average age of 67. Um, we lose 7% of our clients through death. And today we have yet to develop a compelling proposition for Generation X and the Millennials. Is that because the proposition needs to have a technological component or because they're fundamentally different to what your current client base is? I don't think that they're fundamentally different. They look at things in a fundamentally different way. So I think they actually, if you took it down to their base requirements and aims, they're the same. Sure. The way they go about it is very different. Uh, and we're bringing in a new proposition shortly, uh, which I hope will meet that marketplace. Um, um, because people say to me that if you don't worry about, everyone gets hung up about millennials, but they've got no money. Uh, if you look at the facts that over the next five to 10 years, millennials are inheriting somewhere in the region of 100 billion pounds, just in the UK. Um, and that's not necessarily a marketplace to be sneezed at. But more importantly, it doesn't really matter. Um, even those like me, you know, not quite on the pathway to death, but in my later 50s. Not, not quite a millennial either. <laughs> a long way from being a millennial. <laughs> um, and, and I'm not brilliantly tech savvy, but there are things that are different ways that I want to work because I haven't got time to do it the way that my parents' generation did it. Um, and that means I want to have access. And if I go on here, I can find out all of my accounts with my bank with one thumbprint. Why should I wait for somebody to send me a valuation to find out how much money I have? Via fax, <laughs> Yes. So that's what I mean. I'm probably being a, a bit dismissive, but uh, I do believe that you've, today you've got to really start embracing technology to be able to, to meet the requirement and to be able to do things at a pricing and a cost point um, that is going to make your business sustainable. I think the other the point perhaps is that too often, I think the industry benchmarks itself against its its peers within the financial services sector, and the the problem with that from a technological aspect is that you're never being benchmarked against the people that they're not using. You're being benchmarked against Amazon and Google and and all the services that are already being yeah. provided for you on your mobile phone or on your computer. Yeah, I mean it's a comfortable space, isn't it? Benchmarking yourself against other dinosaurs. <laughs> 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 Indeed, waiting for the meteor to come. Uh, but we're just as bad as anybody else, by the way, so it's not a... <laughs> no, no, it, it's not a criticism. But I, I suppose, I mean, to, to, to extend that, that dinosaur meteor, uh, that dinosaur metaphor just a, a little bit longer, is the, the possibility that the, the meteor that comes is from the likes of Amazon and Google and, and those tech companies coming into the financial services space, or is it unlikely that that's actually going to be a significant competitor? I don't believe it is, because I, I, but I don't believe it is for a simple reason. Um, these are businesses that have you know, great penetration in the retail market. Uh, the, they're scared stiff of regulation, and they are scared stiff of tarnishing their brand. Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. If we, if we look at a little bit further now, and you mentioned the millennials and, and you mentioned the, 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 the need for that as a, as a new client base, you've got the, the, you, you're planning a new proposition, but, but is there a, a sense that w will that remain in, 
in the, the the high net worth space? Is that still the area that you're focusing in, or is there increasingly going to be a need to look a much broad across a much broader spectrum? Yeah, I mean, our business is. I mean, everybody calls themselves high net worth or ultra high net worth, or um, uh, uh, and if you look at the majority of our client base, they're unashamedly mass affluent people who need help and need advice. Um, and I believe that will be our space moving from sort of mass affluent to high net worth. I'm not interested in ultra high net worth. Um, and that will be our space in the future. What I think is going to change is the way that people interact with financial advice. So traditionally, you have a financial advisor, you see that financial advisor once or twice a year on a face-to-face meeting, um, and he goes back, lets you know how, you'll get, how your investments are getting on, see if you need any, anything else, uh, and make sure that all your finances are, in a, are in, a, in a good state. Very important role. Uh, but I think in the future, people are going to say, well, actually, my circumstances don't change that much every year. So if I'm paying for this service now, do I really need to get it every year? Um, and therefore, you need to have a technology platform that will allow your clients to dip into execution only in their fund money, whatever they want to do, when they want to do it. When they want to do something like, you know, where am I going to put my next ISA? Well, if they want to go on to your site and do um, uh, sort of robo-advice, they can do that. Or if they want to do face-to-face, they can do that. So I think people will say, actually, look, for the really big things in my life, I'm absolutely going to go to an advisor. Uh, there's no way that uh, I'm going to make a decision, for example, when I come to retire, of how I invest my, my money to give me that income for the rest of my life by pushing a button. Uh, we all want to look somebody in the eye uh, to do it, and we also secretly also want to have somebody to blame or to sue. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that will always happen. Uh, and that will also happen, I think, every now and again. So actually, I'm just going to check. Okay, it's been three or four years since I've, I've had a sort of health check financially. I'll get yeah. Jim or Jane to come and see me. Uh, and, uh, but the rest of the time, I think they'll just interact through that and digitally with you. But that's absolutely fine as far as I'm concerned because you keep the client. And yes, you can offer them things and upsell them things, but as long as they're on that front, that, that uh, interface of yours and dealing with you, you know you're going to get them when it's really important. Mm. Uh, I think you're right. And, and I've said this before as a metaphor, because I've, I've been trying to figure out a lot of, of why things are happening as they are. And, and what, one of the things that I thought was that in the same way in, as media companies are suffering now from the fact that they gave away a lot of content for free for a long time and are now trying to justify the, the fact that actually people should be paying for it. In the same manner, financial services firms technically gave away things for free through commissions in as much as you were still being paid for them, but it was never perceived as a payment by the, by the, by the client. And now suddenly trying to, to say, actually, our, our advice is valuable. You should therefore pay for it. Is that mindset changing now, do you think? Have, is that battle slowly being won in as much as people are actually willing to pay for that advice over time? I think the, uh, the key there is the overtime piece. Um, so I think what people don't want to do is pay for it every year on the basis of something coming to them what they really know already mm. from the valuation. Uh, they're absolutely, I think, 
going to be happy are happy to pay for advice when they think they need it because right. that's when they value it. And if you can have that relationship with your client that there's advice there, they can call upon it um, um, uh, when they require it, but you also give them access to do things themselves and to have sort of, you know, learning abilities as well on your website, then I think that's important. So you're making a digital community as, as you, in the old days we used to make a, a physical community of our clients. How, bringing that back to Sunlam to, to some degree, I, I mean, what are, your, what are your plans now going forward for the business? How, how, are you, how, are you, how would you like to see it evolving? What, what would be a win for 2017? Um, that's a really good question. In fact, for my ex I put about eight things which I said, look, at the end of 2017, this is what looks good. Uh, but I won't tell you all of those. <laughs> <laughs> um, just going back a bit, 2016 was, was sort of sorting the business out and, and integrating it. Uh, 2017 is about moving forward. And for me, one of the really big uh, objectives in 2017 is our partnership program. Uh, to grow the advisors who are either with us full-time or, or, or um, uh, are self-employed with us through, through our partnership program. Um, and that is an important piece for us to do, to be able to increase our, our breadth of, uh, uh, across the country. Um, and we need for our, you know, our existing client base as well, we need more more advisors to, um, um, uh, to join. Um, so I want to see that work. In our asset management business, we have some very good products, but a little known. And getting traction on those in the wholesale market is very important to me. Uh, and it's also my sort of background, so I'm keen that we, we develop that. And asset manager can be the sort of flywheel to profitability within the um, uh, our group. So I want that to work uh, and I want our new proposition to be in place, uh, which I think is uh, exciting, differentiates us and appeals to the next level of client. Mm. Some, some big goals, if nothing else, uh, and, and I'm sure we, we definitely want to hear about the new proposition when it's ready to be, when it's ready to to, to launch, uh, Jonathan. In terms of the, the the kind of the industry as a whole, we've, we've spoken quite a lot about everything. We haven't really touched on regulation much, which is the other big piece of this whole puzzle. Uh, how how are you seeing that at the moment? Are, are you expecting it to continue uh, to to uh, add to the burden that's already facing advisors? Yeah, I think it's it will uh, continue a pace, um, and. You know, we're in the position we're in with the regulator because we weren't particularly uh, adept at uh, taking the initiative as, a, as an industry and as a sector. Uh, so the wealth sector was always a bit behind and, and that's why the, the um, concentration on suitability, etc. has been uh, uh, so, uh, so focused over the last uh, four to five years. Um, I think it's going to to continue, um, and I think the the asset management study is going to be a, a sort of an accelerator of that. Um, and of course, in uh, 2018, we have MIFID, 
coming in as well. So 2017 is preparation for MIFID. Uh, and if, you, if you're like me and you've got all the bits of the jigsaw, we have MIFID, uh, we've had Solvency 2 and Life Company, Authors, uh, we're regulated by the PRA uh, and the FCA, uh, we've got the asset management study on our asset management business and no doubt something different will come out on suitability and things like that for our DFM business and, and our IFA business. Uh, so um, I addressed all of our uh, compliance people in the room and I was shocked when I was standing at this uh, uh, table and, and went back through three rooms almost <laughs> of the amount of people that we have involved in regulation and the amount of our time that is taken up by, by regulation. Um, a lot of what the regulator says in suitability, in best execution, and in pricing is absolutely right. And we've just got to get on by the bullet and, and, and make sure all of those pieces that we've already done in suitability things that we continue to do. Um, and at some point we hope to have a, um, a breather. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it is, a, it is a problem. You know, it, it takes up a lot of resources and money um, and, um, and time for businesses. It is definitely going to not go away, I don't think, in the, in the foreseeable future. Uh, very quickly, just to close off with, uh, I mean, what, what do you think the, the um, what to your mind is the, is the biggest risk out there facing, facing your business in the sector at this stage? Two risks. One is always regulation, and it has to be. Uh, the second is growth. Um, growing organically is very tough in the wealth sector, particularly. Um, and getting the right proposition and the right connectivity with clients so you're relevant for the future is where we have to put all of our, our efforts. Well, that's it from this week's edition of the PA Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, or if you have any ideas on who you'd like us to speak to, please let us know. Hashtag PA Podcast on Twitter.